All right. Hi, everyone. I guess we'll start with this podcast that we're just about to start with me and Hamish. My name is Young, for those that don't know me, and Hamish. We're both lecturers at the University of Sydney, Biomedical Engineering, for those that are listening outside our cohort. All right, so it's, this will be a pod, uh, monthly podcast, hopefully, or maybe a fortnightly podcast, depending how things go, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where Hamish and I chat about various aspects about biomedical engineering, not necessarily in a factual manner, but more from our personal observations and experiences, and, and by no means peer-reviewed, because, well, who has time for that during a conversation? So, Hamish? Yep, that's very important. It is not peer-reviewed. <laughs> um, so I'm an associate lecturer here. And I've been in biomedical engineering for about a year now. And I've been wanting to start this podcast from the time I started. And I think that was part of my interview, if you remember. <laughs> yeah, you were on my panel. Yeah. Um, I'm glad, glad it's finally going ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be just a conversational thing. Hopefully you guys are going to listen to this and, and hopefully relate to what, what we uh, talk about in terms of... We'll try to keep it biomedical engineering focused, uh, medical focused. We might, we might throw in some sports-related stuff here and there. But having said that, this is going to be a, or inten- intended to be a biomedical podcast, a biomedical engineering podcast. Yeah, all right, so so starting off, I guess, let, let, let's, I, I want to share a joke about engineers, right? Because obviously this is where we're both, you're not, you're not necessarily an engineer though. I'm not an engineer at all, no. <laughs> no that's <laughs> no. fine. I, I think we, we do need, we do need our experts in, in the anatomy and physiology and, and the human, human side of things. And, and clearly you are an expert on that in those areas. Well, thank you, Young. <laughs> you're very kind. Right, so so Hamish, what's the definition of an engineer? Oh, okay. Is this part of the joke? It's part of the joke. <laughs> okay. An engineer is someone who can uh, build things from... It, it's someone who s- solves a problem you didn't know you had. Uh, <laughs> right, in a way you don't understand. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, even though we don't understand it, ultimately, you know, we always use what engineers, engineers end up building, so... <laughs> Uh, no thank you, thank you, engineers, <laughs> for doing what you do. Everything we see around us is engineered, so it's beautiful what you end up doing, even though we didn't even realize uh, we would want it. <laughs> All right, uh, and, and so uh, wha- I guess the first topic, which I guess I wanted to talk about in, in this podcast, is the prosthetics, in particular the, bu- uh, the prosthetic arm or the prosthetic hand. The reason why I guess we want to start this particular sort of podcast series off with this particular medical device it's it's really a popular high school project Mm -hmm. um it's got enough variation it's got enough complexity you can run this at an appropriate scale that's relatively cheap to run with accessible materials Uh, and the irony of using this is as a first topic for our podcast is is because there's enough variation to talk (laughs) about um and, and the complexity and also the familiarity with our i guess intended audience so high school students do end up doing prosthetic hands as projects? As far as I know, yeah. Oh, that's um, amazing. It, it, it's, again, it's, it's, it's got enough complexity and, and, and the scale, the size. So I, I guess the alternative is trying to come up with a prosthetic leg. But how would you test that? It's, it's very difficult. Right. right. How would you demonstrate that? It's also, you, there, there'll be a lot of material costs involved in the, all that because you actually have to make it pretty big. Right. right. Yeah. Your leg is actually quite a big... Uh, part of your body and yeah, it's, it's the complexity right it's yeah when we're thinking about the hand it is like when you look at the musculoskeletal system it's immensely an immensely complex component of it and if yeah. you think about it i mean um we take our hands somewhat for granted but just imagine first thing you wake up in the morning what do you do you reach out maybe you you know <laughs> reach out for your phone yeah <laughs> hit, hit the snooze button and just start checking your phone 
the motor complexity as well as just the sensory component is immensely complex. And so developing, I'm, I'm going to reach out to you on this because, again, I'm not an engineer, mm-hmm. but um, I would, even though, like, that's why I was surprised when you said high school students do this as a project because even though, I mean, it's possible, just when you think of the motor and sensory complexity of the hand is immense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I'd love to you know just go over p- uh, components of that while we're talking about yeah yeah and uh, yeah. like going back to that whole point about you surprised being high school stu- hi- after high school students doing this it, obviously we, the teachers won't be expecting the students to be replicating the hand mm. completely right it's basically grip function right um, and and perhaps shaking and moving up and down very very basic anatomical motions and yeah if you don't do it properly right. It's a huge engineering challenge, as you said, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the motor and the sensory complexities. And f- quite frankly, there isn't any perfect or close to perfect hand prosthesis, arm prosthesis, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Uh, and I'd imagine that is, uh, I would imagine replicating some of the motor functions mm-hmm. might be, one of some of the more basic motor functions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm might not be too difficult. Mm, but yeah. when you're considering like the human hand overall has so many degrees of freedom, like 26 if I'm not mistaken, just the amount of joints it has, yeah. uh, the amount of muscles, it's got yeah. uh, about 15, I believe, 15 extrinsic muscles, that is muscles in the forearm controlling your wrist mm-hmm, and your mm-hmm, fingers. Mm-hmm. And then there's another 11 or 12 within intrinsic, intrinsic to your hand. Yeah, I, I, I'm impressed that you remember, remember, remember that off by heart because I actually t- done a bit of research here um, in, the, in my notes here. Uh, uh, I've just got a little note here saying how many bones in the hand, how many muscles in the hand, and I've just got 30 muscles uh, associated with hand movements, right? And which, is, which is a lot. Right? It, it is a lot. Muscles, yeah, right. And some in the forehand, some in the forearm. Roughly fifty-fifty. Yeah. Uh, and twenty-seven bones. Twenty-seven bones. Twenty-seven yeah. Bones. So I, uh, it's going to be very difficult to be able to replicate all that motor function, but some of the more important aspects, mainly grip. That's the main thing we're yeah, looking at, right? Yeah. But uh, when you consider hand functions, it's also um, have you heard of the. Uh, Ho- I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Homunculus man? Yes, 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 yes. Right. So with the homunculus man, there's a motor and a sensory version. So when you're looking at the sensory version, basically the different components of that uh, the man's body is proportional to how much sensory input and how much uh, sensation is controlled by the somatosensory cortex that is a part of the brain which con- controls sensation to a great extent. Now... You'll see in this man, the hands are abnormally large, which means that the hands are highly, highly sensitive to touch, pressure, temperature, which is why like when you Mm -hmm. put your shower on in the morning, Mm -hmm. if you want to test the uh, hot water, Mm -hmm. you probably won't put your knee or your foot Mm -hmm. in. You can put your hand in. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think the major thing that uh, for the future of prosthetics and probably what they're working on right now is for a... let's say, a father who maybe has lost his uh, limb, his mm-hmm. upper limb, uh, or his hand at least, mm-hmm. when he wears a prosthetic, mm-hmm. to be able to hold his you know, child's hand mm-hmm. and actually feel that. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, an important component in addition to the motor function, which would probably be a lot more difficult to engineer. Yeah, yeah no, so having done neuroscience as part of my training as well, I, I, I am familiar with the homunculus man, and I'm also... The fact that certain parts of the body have 
a lot of nerves mm. just in general right mm. a hand is definitely one of them and of if you compare let's say uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum let's say your back right your back right. doesn't really have that much nerve endings right, right? Uh, and and part of that is because of the function right your hands are meant to move around mm -hmm. right with high levels of intricacy right right and and, and you bring up the point about feedback right and the challenge i guess the, the engineering challenge if, if if the previous challenge was to try to replicate uh, getting the signals from the brain to the machine, to, mm -hmm. to the to let's say the bionic prosthesis, if if, if it is a bionic prosthesis, right? If that was a challenge before, I think now it, that's mostly uh, being addressed. It's the other end now, getting the signals from the machine to the human, yeah, right? A and proprioception, which is the position of the perception of the positioning of the joints and the uh, and the sensation of touch, basically. Mm -hmm. Even with the currently most advanced bionic hands. The, the user won't be able to feel what the prosthetic hand is feeling. Right. right? Because there's no signals going back. Right. And so that, that I, I guess that will be a challenge uh, for any research group or any uh, corporations or any uh, companies that are working on developing these prosthetic hands. Once you can achieve that, you've basically got it. Right. right? Yeah. And I did watch a documentary recently on Netflix. I can't even remember what the name was. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, they have built uh, one that could distinguish between hard and soft. So they were essentially there was this screen, so the person couldn't see what they were touching, and they had put this wooden block and a sponge, and basically they need to squeeze it and tell and basically distinguish what exactly is right. it a hard thing right. or a soft thing that so they're so touching. So how they able to so how they able to um, figure that out? Do you know do you know how they were able to do that? That. Um, I watched this a while back, so mm. when it comes to the engineering principles behind it, I would not be able to tell you. But I do know that to a certain extent, the person was able to figure that out. It must be some sort of mechanical mechanism where the the pressure and the stresses from the let's say the prosthetic grip gets transferred to the muscles on the stump. Right. So are there like pressure sensors then on the no. fingers of the hand? So, uh, so it would be some kind of lever system, I would right. think, right? A, okay. a, a mini lever system where, um, let's say, the the prosthetic fingers press on something, mm -hmm. and that and whatever sort of forces are acting on those fingers get transferred to some sort of pad or some sort of uh, pressing belt or something on on the stump. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It could be pneumatic, uh, an air based mechanism. Terms of, I don't think it would have been electrical though. No. no okay. So. Well, uh, so maybe, maybe, maybe. So I'm that's a start. Then, yeah. You know, uh, just being able to do that. Um, I guess they're getting somewhere. They're getting ahead, and maybe yeah. some of our students in future might be involved in uh, being able to take that to the forefront. Yeah. You know, no, who knows? Yeah, and, and it's <laughs> it's 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 interesting how if you compare, let's say, the development of the prosthetics of the lower limb, right? And the prosthetics of the upper limb, and and we we talk a bit about the uh, lower limb prosthesis. It's it's obviously less complex, right? In the sense that the primary objective for the lower limbs is more about providing balance and strength in terms of just uh, vertical, almost vertical motion. I would say, yeah, yeah. That and, and so if, so, in terms of need, if you think about the Paralympics. Right, and you see, you see the uh, prosthesis is there. Mm -hmm. Right, the the advanced prosthesis is simply 
carbon fiber springboards that are shaped like in, in, in a J-shaped way right. to provide that sort of bounciness and, and, and the lift. And you don't even need any, uh, let's say, electric electrical components in it, right, Kay. for it to function quite well, right, at an at a elite athletic level, right? Yeah, and I'd imagine with the lower limb, correct me if I'm wrong, that um, it would be much easier to develop a prosthesis that could function almost as well as... Know, yeah, uh, almost is all even better. Uh, like, as in, uh, there was the whole talk about Oscar Pistorius about, uh, like, it, it was uh, the, the um, prosthetic limbs that he had, the two, two, two uh, lower limb prosthesis that he had, and he was p- competing against able bodied men, right? Right. Uh, in, in, in one of the Olympics, I can't remember which one. Uh, and they were talking about how is it possible that it's giving him an unfair advantage? <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Uh, and and you're, you're talking about uh, someone that using prosthesis and they're saying that is it giving an advantage, which right. is, which is uh, in one sense, um, testament to how, uh, I guess, well uh, the, the, the lower limb prosthesis have been, I guess, developed over the period of time. Yeah, and that reminds me of a meme or a joke I read <laughs> on, online a while ago. Uh, so there's this person I can't remember his name who has scaled Mount Everest twice or thrice, uh-huh. and he's lost his uh, legs. Oh yeah, yeah. And he has prosthesis in, yeah, uh, yeah. in place of it, and so it was a long thing about you know lost two legs, you know scaled Mount Everest twice. What's your excuse? And the excuse is my legs hurt. <laughs> 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 well, there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, the complexity is completely different, right? right. With, the, with the upper hand and and, and the I guess lower hand, the lower importance lower of sensation also isn't yeah, as strong yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, true, true, yeah. true. Like, is in in terms of everyday life, uh, how much of the sensations of the leg are you really paying into attention? Unless you're stepping on something that's sharp. But yeah, but in the in the case of the prosthesis, <laughs> you don't <laughs> exactly. care. Yeah, you so it's care. a protective thing, yeah. but it wouldn't matter if it's uh, prosthetic uh, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. using. So yeah, it would be a lot easier. And uh, another thing Im- interesting about the hand is, um, so have you thought about why humans are mostly right-handed? Because if you th- consider primates, all right, you do not see that. You don't. You don't see a particular handedness mm. in even our closest relatives. Yeah. No. I, I'm just thinking of all the. I, I've been thinking of this. Uh, the, the, the theories that I go by with why pe- more people are right-handed is, one, it's to do with the sidedness of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lateralization. Like one, one, one side is used more than the other, hence you're, you're, more, you're uh, more inclined to use the right. Mm-hmm. There's also the social aspect and the practical aspect of writing. Right? If you think about writing on a notepad, mm-hmm. um, if you write from left to right using your right hand, and that's, that's the common one, the, your hand doesn't get in the way of the writing. Right. But whereas if you use your left hand to write and you're writing from left to right, your left hand actually gets in the way of the writing. Right? Okay. And if you use ink or pencil, right, that also that smudges if your if your hand is touching the notepad. Okay. That's interesting, but here's another important point though. Uh the earliest man, even home, like uh prior to Homo sapiens being uh evolving, even they so they found on cave paintings, early men, basically, when they were dwelling in caves, cavemen, basically, um, uh-huh. they used to put their hands and use some kind of pixel to paint, kind of they blew out of 
this little glowing thingy. I don't know what yeah. you call it, but pigment. the pixel oh, would make yeah. The, sorry, the pigment. <laughs> sorry, uh, I've been doing too much data yeah. analysis these days. Uh, the pigment would give make the outline of their hand. Yeah. So they've noticed is most of the hands there were left-handed. So they were manipulating right. whatever they were using with the right. So the hypothesis is uh, the right hand was associated with more fine motor movements. Okay, mm-hmm. The hand just needs to be placed there, but whatever you're using to manipulate an, uh, a tool would be with your right. So they've found that tool use is probably, hypoth- it's a hypothesis still, but probably one of the major reasons we've become mostly right-handed mm-hmm. because there's a part like you mentioned lateralization, there's a part, a uh, component on the left-hand side of our brain that is strongly associated with the ability to manipulate tools and right. fine motor function. Right, All right? right, right. So, therefore, with tool use, the idea is that we probably became uh, more and more, the brain became more lateralized uh, and the right-hand function was mm-hmm. dominant. And then the question becomes, why is there then any left-handed people yeah, if yeah, there is an le- uh, evolutionary yeah. advantage? And... There clearly has to be an evolutionary advantage there. Uh, I always tell my students, there's a reason for everything, you know, when you consider evolution. But uh, the idea there is, especially when it comes to physical activities, and when you consider physical, any any sports that are contact, for example, or especially fighting, like uh, boxing or MMA, Mm. there's a distinct advantage for left-handers because mm, mm, mm. they are able to surprise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. same okay. with football as well Left yeah exactly yeah. exactly so again the hypothesis is that this was a huge advantage for a small portion of people right. in the early days when combat was obviously far more important all right when right. there were like large-scale wars and stuff and the reason it stayed a small proportion of people is because if that proportion increased, then that advantage doesn't exist anymore because right. then we've got 50-50. There's, there is no advantage. That's an interesting hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. these are all hypotheses, but I found them really interesting when I found out about it. But uh, what, what you're saying there, though, is it's, it's eventually gene-related, like genetics related. Ultimately, it's coded within, yeah, so evolution, ultimately, it's coded within your gene somewhere. Right. Yeah, somehow. So, so if I recall correctly, back in my sort of, I guess, early childhood days, I was told that I was actually initially left-handed, but I, I got fixed, <laughs> in a sense, right, to write right-handed. And, I, and, and actually, it, it t- like you said, some of my everyday activities, I, I do sometimes use my left hand to do stuff like uh, um, cutting fingernails using the, the nail clippers and, and using spoons. I use left hand to use mm. my spoon. Uh, and so, I guess, I don't know, I, I, I wasn't meant to boast about my ambidextrosity, but... Uh <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my brother, for example, writes with his left hand, oh. but does everything else, like, he's more strong. But, of course, he's a basketball player, so uh, uh, he's improved both uh-huh. left and right. As a point guard, he needs to be able to do that. Uh, so he's quite ambidextrous as oh, well. And, and th- this ambidextrosity, I re- now, now that I sort of now we're talking about this, I recall a, a stage, uh, a phase where I was looking into people that can do, do separate things with their both hands simultaneously. Right. No, uh, so, so there's this oh, that's thing. super difficult. Yeah, I've yeah. actually tried doing that. Yeah, yeah. So th- th- there's a thing about, like, is in try drawing a triangle with your left hand and a circle with your right. Exactly. You can't do it. Exactly. You just can't do it. But exactly. some people can do it, right? And some people can actually uh, write, like, text with two different hands simultaneously. Wow. Right? Um, uh, I just got a. Uh, I have my laptop here with me, and I've just, I've just loaded up the, the, the pa- cave paintings that you were talking about before with, like, from prehistory almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, 
I'm looking at the cave art paintings of, at Lascaux Cave mm-hmm. uh, in France, and you're talking about how people, well, the the cavemen, they had had their hands left hand on the wall and then pigmented, right? Yeah, like and yeah. Blood pigmented, and that's going under the assumption though that the cavemen are putting their palms on the wall, right? Probably. Mm. So like, I'm just probably highly unlikely, but what if the people had put their um, uh, palms towards themselves instead? True. Again, it's hard to deduce. Uh, it's hard it, it happened, it yeah. happened 10,000 years ago. But, but <laughs> there is there is more evidence. Uh, this is just more difficult to describe. The other evidence is more yeah, difficult yeah. to describe. Just yeah. how they, uh, basically, when they were making hides for clothing, they'd put the hides in between their teeth uh-huh. and they'd rub against it using a stone. Right. And if they were using their left hand, the force would be moving to one direction as opposed mm. to the opposite direction with their right hand. And once in a while, the hide would slip from their teeth and that would right. scratch their teeth. And the directions in which we find scratches on teeth for those early uh, cavemen as well uh-huh. was it it kind right. of matched a right-handed movement. Right, right, right. So it's not just that. There are a couple of other things as well. So right handedness, I think, was clearly present very early on. Right, right. Yeah. So, which is a really interesting point, and uh, yeah, all all that talk from the complexity of the hand, right? Um, we haven't even gotten into the fingerprints and and the biometrics involved in it too. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) fingerprints is a whole like yeah. Um, with the fingerprints and palm prints, if you want to call it palm prints. Yeah, and even the creases we have, those lines that we have in our palm, there's a you know. There's a function for that as well. It's there's so functions for those? Yeah. I thought it was just for uh, hand reading. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there, there is a more to kind of... your future, maybe. No, no, <laughs> no. I don't know. Maybe some people have the ability to do that. I doubt it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if you kind of just hold your palm up like this and crumple it up, just move your fingers towards each other, you'll see that they crumple up in almost the exact way uh, points at which those lines are present. So those lines actually formed by the attachment of your skin to tissues underneath in utero, mm. you know. So yeah, that uh. so that when you squeeze something, your s- the skin on your palm doesn't just crumple up and if impact your grip. Mm. So that's the idea for that. And with your fingertips, um, what do you think the fingertips are there for? I think there are a couple of type uh, not the fingertips, the fingerprints. Sorry, fingerprints. Yeah, uh, my understanding is like for grip and for to. Uh, to sense, yes, basically. I yeah. think uh, the tactile yeah, uh, yeah. the sensation to just be able to feel the most uh, to be able to di- uh, differentiate between rough and smooth, basically. Yeah, and, and for the fingertips to be able to do that, it, it like at, at such a sort of a like physically small scale, let's say, it is quite amazing. Like in terms of like the nerve endings and, and and your brain being able to compute those biological signals coming from those nerve mm-hmm. endings at the fingertips. Right? Yeah. It, it's like using that to really feel if something's hard or soft in in the broader sense, but you could even feel the differences, the the, the very minute differences in this. Uh, like the, the, the texture, yeah, yeah, the yeah, texture. Yeah. Just imagine, like, whoever's listening, just, Im- just think about the fact that when you're running your finger along the table, a table or something, like I am right now, you can tell how smooth that table is. And for, for you to be able to do that, you need to be able to distinguish between the most minute changes of the texture of that table. I mean, it's amazing that your bo- your brain is and the nerve endings, and then which is connected ultimately to your brain is able to detect 
that. I mean, mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. about it. It's yeah, whew. yeah. Uh, you could do that with your eyes closed as well, and like, as in, it, it, there's no other sensory input that you need for that to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I guess going back to our whole talk, sort of the, the topic about prosthetic hands. Do you think? Do you think that it will be ever be possible for prosthetic hands to be able to go down that far deep into the sort of the capabilities? Personally, as a non-engineer, I would say yes, just because the the capacity for humans to be able to develop things. True, like, just true, think about, true. I mean, I sometimes talk about this as well. Just think about 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50 years, uh, think about somebody who lived in the 19, not even 50 years, let's say 1950s. Imagine them just coming to the present. Like 1990s they, even, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, 1990s, just mobile phones and stuff like that, right? <laughs> I remember my, my dad had this huge brick of a phone uh. and all you do is take calls. I mean, just imagine telling someone at that time, oh, you know, in future, you'd be able to access the internet in, you know, s- at super fast speeds on your phone itself and it's just going to fit in your palm and you have access to everything right there. And at that time, we had dial-up. I don't know if any of the students know what dial-up internet is. Uh, they may have heard of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super <laughs> slow, my goodness. Oh, it, was not, it wasn't too bad for oh the users that we had need w- for the internet. Like, it's in, it's mostly text-based sites anyway back then. Fair uh, enough, true, like. true. And we did, there wasn't extensive use of YouTube or whatnot. True, true, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and, and, and probably the maximum file size that we wanted to download was probably 500 megabytes for like a demo game. <sighs> <right>? <laughs> Much smaller at that time. Yeah. Anyway, I think <laughs> we're going we're going away slightly away from the yeah. uh, the, the the medicine side of things. You want to talk about biometrics? Biometrics. Interesting. Coincidentally, um, my iPhone broke recently, mm-hmm. um, and I had to remove the Face ID component. Okay. Right. And and so that got me thinking. Ah, uh, yeah, th- these phones are going to be basically part of us. <laughs> right, right. Like they're already part of us now, but more so in in the coming years. Yeah, right? for sure. And and like your phones are used to verify who you are basically all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? And so there was a period of time recently, roughly for a week, that my phone was out of action. I couldn't log into sites. I couldn't access any of my accounts because it was sending everything to Okta. <laughs> right, it was sending everything wow. through uh, the, the verifying apps. How did you sort that and, out? And 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 and, and through text. How did I sort it out? I didn't, right? I couldn't. So you just in. had no access for a week. Well, uh, well, like some. Uh, fortunately, some of my computers had already been authenticated to the point where it was like uh, it's, it just automatically goes in. Right. right? Okay. You have that option, but uh, I guess it's not universally the case. But mm. having said that, I- yeah, biometrics, um, yeah, fingerprints. Uh, it's obviously the traditional way of identifying someone in in a crime scene. Let's say yeah. that's where everyone's familiar with. Um, yeah, and everyone, everyone has a unique one. But uh, but to be honest, if I look at someone's fingerprints, they all look the same to me. <laughs> it, uh, it's right? very, very, like, you, it's the differences are minute, but mm. important, When you, at least when it comes to differentiating between people. And, and I, I presume that's all controlled by genetics as well, right? I would imagine so, yeah, ultimately, mm. yes, because it's not environmental. It has to be genetic, mm. yeah? Mm. Yeah, mechanical and electrical prosthetic hands like obviously traditionally it's been mechanical right right with but now it's gone to the stage where uh, there, there's some sort of electrical stimulation right 
And, uh, uh, well, stimulation is, is that the right word? It's, it's more about getting the, the signals from the muscles. From the muscles. It's like an electro And, and then you're EMG. totally going through a processor on, 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 on the uh, limb. Yeah. The, the prosthetic limb. I think it's like EMG, uh, like an EMG setup, electromyography setup. Yeah. So basically detecting the electrical signals from the Which muscles. Which reminds me, that was the reason why I actually went into biomedical engineering in the first place. I was very interested in the whole brain-mind control. And, mm. and I've, I've been talking about it in the journal club and uh, basically any public forum that I've been with the students. Right. Like the co- common question is, why did you do biomedical engineering? Right. right. And yeah. so the, question, the, the answer has often been, well, it's always is, I was interested in the whole brain-mind interface, right? right. Brain-computer interface, not brain-mind, brain-computer interface and the brain-machine interface. I wanted to get involved in that, right? And then, and so that's why I also majored in, well, I guess I majored in neuroscience for my me- medical science as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to learn much more about the neuro side of things and and I wanted to work in that area. Uh, and I also wanted to work with synthetic nerves, so I would approach Tala. Hey, let's let's uh, Harla's Harla's right hand. She's a professor here at University of Sydney. Mm-hmm. I approached her and said, "Hey, I want to work on synthetic nerves." And, and then she gave me a project on synthetic bone, and that's <laughs> where I am now, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, so that w- that just reminded me that I was very sort of interested in this space, and and just that pe- people are increasingly gaining the awareness and the appreciation about. One, the importance of having or being able to have some sort of brain-machine interface mm-hmm. uh, for various clinical applications. But also, two, the people are generally now also appreciating that there's technology or we're at the cusp of the technology or developing technology to enable that to happen at a much effective rate. Right. Yeah. I, I guess, I think I mentioned this before in, in the recording here, that... We've somehow we, we've somewhat established one one way connection between the brain to the machine. Yeah. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of articles that are coming out, like how we can use our brain signals to uh, talk on the computer. We can use our uh, signals from the uh, muscles to control uh, uh, prosthetic limbs and hands. Yeah. Right. But the uh, the the other way from the machine to the brain. Right. That would be. Uh, yeah, trickier. I think mainly, uh, I I would imagine that would be because because brain is so complex, right? So so uh, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, here, sure, Rachel, sure. Go ahead. There, there there is there are devices right now in the clinic that do c- that do use machines to control nervous tissue, pacemakers and cochlear implants, right? Okay. Right, pacemakers control the the the. It's not really nervous tissue there, but it's the it's the. What do you call this? Purkinje fibers. Purkinje fibers. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and other other electrical part circuitry of the contractile, of the heart, yeah. uh, the electrical circuit yeah. of the heart. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 with the cochlear implant, obviously the the, the machine uh, fires uh, fires signals into the the cochlea, the organ. Hmm. But you can't do that into the brain. Oh, actually, you do have that with Parkinson's treatment with deep brain stimulators now. Right? You do. But again. Th- but right now they're all crude, quite crude. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, it's not. I I don't think the treatment for de- deep brain stimulation. Again, correct me uh, if I'm wrong. Um, is any? It doesn't need a very fine, specific no, no. area of the it brain. It Whereas it if you were to connect, you know, some kind of if the sensory input from a prosthetic hand or the electrical signals from a prosthetic hand is to move to the brain, it needs to go to very specific areas. So that needs yeah. to be very tightly yeah, exactly, controlled exactly. so that's going to be difficult right 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 the resolution has to be really really high right yeah. so like you think you're firing at 
the part of the brain which detects the movement of the index finger in a particular degree of motion. Exactly, exactly. But instead, because of the radius of the sort of the electrical field that's generated, it, it's you're detecting, let's say, the the contraction of the muscle of the pinky finger. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? So that's that's that stuff. And I think the uh, w- reason it's e- much easier to do the other way around is because we don't need to connect when it comes to motor movement mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, the prosthetic. Mm-hmm. We don't need to connect uh, it directly to the brain. We can just direct connect it to the muscle and the brain directs the muscle mm-hmm. and the muscle signals are much easier to interpret than having yeah. to send it right to your brain, which is incredibly complex. Yeah, yeah, it is. Incre- like, then... Yeah, the mapping of the brain, like I, I think there's, there's actually a lot of work being done on the mapping of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that will really help with the development of such devices which uh, stimulate parts of the brain at a uh, much more controlled manner that right. we can do now. But going back to the whole deep brain stimulation, like it's, again, they're relatively cr- not crude electrodes, but they're electrodes which have a, a large electrical field, relatively large electrical field. Uh, compared to the uh, sort of the mapping resolution of the brain, and if I recall correctly, these these uh, deep brain stimulator electrode rods, they stimulate like the 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 the, the inner brain organs that, that that's associated with fine motor control, like crustacean nigra and and and, right. and 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 whatnot. To get so, I guess th- there's a technical challenge of trying to develop electrodes that are biocompatible and and biologically safe, but also fire at very very small electric fields. Exactly. Yeah. Because also, if you're whenever you're dealing directly with the brain, it needs. Yeah, and to also be your brain's very fragile yeah, too. So yeah. Yeah, any kind of heat that's generated from such firing would probably fry it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't want to go uh, try to improve sensation for your prosthetic hand and do, then do, do something stu- to your brain. Yeah. Do students get to touch your brain? In in in, in your course? Not, Not in yet. my course. But if they are doing the double degree in medical sciences, yeah. they will be able to touch a brain. Yes. Oh yeah, because. Uh, natural physiology for engineers, we don't really. I guess we don't really need to feel a brain. Like we, we need to know how a brain works. I guess eventually, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess if you go into yeah. specialization, you'd end up feeling a yeah, brain if yeah, you want yeah. to work on uh, the nervous system. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to an, an another sort of sort of topic I want to chat about. Uh, Is this the topic that we had while having lunch the other day? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm a big uh, fizzy drink drinker. Uh, actually, I have I've got water with me. I've got sparkling water. Um, <laughs> yeah, my partner loves sparkling water as well. Yeah, and 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 and, and what makes sparkling water better is obviously the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's th- there's no sugar in sparkling water, but I'm just saying like with with soft drinks, I I really should stop drink drinking them. There's there's enough research and evidence saying that sugar is bad for you, almost at the level of like nicotine. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> right? Lots um, of evidence there. But having said that, though, I, I enjoy them so much that I can tell the difference between like different sort of types of cola drinks, like Coca Cola, like Pepsi, oh, I Pepsi Max. I can tell thing. the difference. I can yeah. tell the difference. I guess I'm, I'm kind of proud, but not kind of proud <laughs> of admitting. Um, and, and and I do sometimes fear that uh, I might have an un- un- undiagnosed case of diabetes. Of course, I don't have any symptoms that <laughs> that show up, but I've been drinking enough to sort of uh, sometimes be worried about it. But having said that, though, I think I'm fine. You think? <laughs> I think okay. I'm fine. I All think right. I'm fine. I get basic medical checkups every year, so oh. <laughs> I I I, uh, th- I I'll strongly recommend that to the <laughs> listeners that are, that are listening to this right now, uh, yeah. especially after you're thirty. 
or 35. <laughs> yeah. Hey, 30 is not too old. 30 is not too uh, old. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not. It's not. Yeah. We're yeah. still below the average in terms of the average age of the society. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. So artificial sweetness. Now you don't you don't really drink. Uh, you tend to drink diet or light I'm products, to right? Zero now. Oh, so you haven't yet. Well, I do. I, d- <coughs> I do. I do. Um, because you were drinking a diet coke the other day, or was it a coke, coke zero? zero? I can't coke remember. Diet coke tastes like crap. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> don't have to worry about sponsors at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so consciously making decisions to try to not to have sugar-free drinks, but taste like sugar. Sugar's nice, yeah. and, and and going back with history, right? I think I think this has become more of a history podcast than a medical podcast, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or or biomedical. Well, we podcast. just take it where it goes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, but like, as in, if you think about history, you, us as a species have only been exposed to sugar in the past. In, in the amounts that we consume, right? Mm. In the past hundred years, almost. At at the level of sugar that we consume. Yeah, the level of yeah. Cons- yeah. So before that, people don't ha- didn't have that much sugar. In yeah, their and also what's interesting is before that, it would we would be able to deal with the amount of sugar that mm-hmm. we consume mm-hmm. much better. Of course, I'm not saying that we always should consume this much of sugar, but obviously the level of physical activity that people had before technology oh, yeah, improved. Yeah. Physical activity. Yeah. yeah, and that's why from an evolutionary perspective, sugar is considered, it's I- it's so desirable to it's us. It's a luxury. It's a, it was a, it's a luxury item. Yeah, yeah, Which especially back then. Yeah, uh, so the reason we we have this the w- reason the reward centers fire so much in our brain and it tastes so good is because for early again for early man when it comes to simple carbohydrates it was really important because they had to they were constantly out there you know hunting and all that so for them it was actually actually life saving mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but now what's happened is that industry is just the sugar industry has <laughs> gone way up and the physical activity <laughs> levels have gone way down with all the comforts that we have yeah, I, I heard. I heard that like it. It only costs like the sugar sugar drink companies like a fraction, like of a of a dollar, like like almost like two cents to to make a bo- to make a bottle of let's say Coke. Right. right. But they sell it for like three bucks, four bucks. Wow. Right? Okay. That's why they don't sell so much money. Right. And also, that's to also do with the marketing thing, which is which is like uh, I believe Coca Cola is like a uh, sort of a model uh, for for marketing. Do you reckon people are drinking a lot less soft drinks nowadays yes, with all yes, the hel- yes, health yes, yes. Uh, warnings? Yes, there's, there's a yeah. lot of there's there's a lot of um, yeah health warnings uh, about sugar, high sugar, and, and people are do are making conscious decisions. I believe, um, uh, of course, there's people like me who 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 are, who are sort of still try <laughs> still so trying to get away from that. Yeah. Right? Uh, you drink Coke Zero though, so I try to drink. Yeah. Coke yeah. Zero. And I think that's why the companies have had to adapt. That that though, yeah. like Coke still tastes much, much better than Coke Zero. I wouldn't know. I haven't drank. I haven't uh, had Coke know, in a uh, long uh, time. May, 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 uh, it's, a, it's a subjective thing, but for me, Coke, Coke tastes much better than Coke Zero. I've heard that Coke Zero has a weird aftertaste. It kind of does. It yeah. kind of does. It kind of does. And, and, and I was looking up what kind of um, uh, artificial sweetener they use for that. Um, so historically, most of the artificial sweeteners were aspartame. Yeah. Uh, oh, and still are, right? Mm-hmm. And, and 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 sometimes, depending on, not not the soft drinks but the candies, sugar-free candies. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them use xylitol. Okay. Xylitol, or some of them use xylitol, uh, or also and also a bit of aspartame, I guess, there too. Uh, Coke Zero uses uh, something called ACE K, or acid. I have this note here: acid sulfame 
potassium. Yeah. Is that a is it a sweetener? It's a, it's a sweetener that they use for Coke Zero. I haven't heard of that one. Oh, no, I, I, mean, I, I know aspartame. I just googled it. I googled it again. This is not a peer-reviewed podcast. Right? <laughs> um, um, don't sue us if, if that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and so, yeah, it's and 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 it's interesting how, and we were talking about this the other day too, right? With with these artificial sweeteners, they've been out for quite a while too. They've yeah. Been out for quite a while. They, uh, like Coke, diet, diet Coke. Let me see the history of that for you. How long has that been out for? I'd imagine recently. I'm pretty sure it would have been just the companies adapting to people becoming more health conscious. All right, so the first hit on Google, right, is it just says in the summer of 1980. Oh, that's a long time. It's longer a long than time, I expected. A long time. And, and, and so that's Diet Coke? Diet Coke, yeah. Okay. And so, again, artificial sweeteners. And, and of course, there could be other caveats like research being funded by these soft drink companies or not enough research being done. But... There, there isn't a conclusive body of evidence that these artificial sweeteners are as harmful as sugar or the nicotine, unless you've read somewhere else. <laughs> okay, so here's what I understand about it. Um, artificial sweeteners by themselves, at least most artificial sweeteners by themselves, are not dangerous in the sense that we were thinking about cancer risks and things mm-hmm. like that. All right? So on the papers I've read... Oh, yeah, okay, okay, I see where you're getting this, yeah. Yeah, so there isn't too much of a risk for cancer. cancer. Whereas, uh, actually, just before I uh, jumped into this, I actually just checked to see if there's any update on that. Uh There was a study recently, a population-based study, Ah. which uh, in France, which actually did connect uh, artificial sweetener use to an increased cancer risk. Oh, no, 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 no. But but I think there's some danger for reverse... uh, reverse causation there yeah. where maybe people who previously had an unhe- unhealthy diet and then switched to right, you know a diet cook maybe right. they are also more at risk for obesity rela- obesity related cancers yeah. right yeah, because right. it was primarily obesity related cancers uh, that was connected uh, to right, this right. Uh, so that's possible but for the most part until then most studies have showed little to no cancer risk but Mm-mm. the reason you drink Diet Coke, or at least the reason most people drink Diet, diet Coke or Coke Zero, whatever it is, uh, basically sugar-free soft drinks, is to prevent weight gain. Now, if mm-hmm. that's what you're trying to do, or if it's to improve overall metabolism, most studies, not all, most studies from what I understand, have shown no difference between using normal Coke ah. and using sugar f- uh, art- right, yeah. sugar-free Coke, ah. all right? Art- with artificial sweetness, basically. Oh, for weight gain? For, for, for yeah, weight, yeah, it's weight, the same amount. Yeah, your yeah. weight control weight is control. pretty much the same. Ah. And that's interesting. So if you think about why that is, because sh- they obviously s- artificial sweetness don't provide as much calories. Yes. Or zero, zero calories. calories yeah. Yeah. Either zero or some. For example, aspartame does provide some calories, it's actually on a per unit weight basis as caloric as sugar. Mm. But aspartame is much sweeter than sugar. Uh, so you can yeah. add much less. Uh, okay? Yeah. Now, when you think about why this is, there are a few hypotheses. First of all, um, it's to do with the reward center in the brain. Now, when you taste something sweet, there's, an, there's a response within the brain yeah. which basically... It's kind of like your brain expects 
to have calories provided at that point. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? I remember learning this in medical science. Yeah. <laughs> but then you don't give it any calories. Mm, 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 so what so this kind of confuses your brain as well as it causes insulin secretion as well. Right. So now insulin has been secreted but there are no calories uh, oh. being provided, okay? So because of this over time your it it produces almost a need to consume more calories in some other way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? So it's you're driven to consume calories even though the uh, soda you're drinking or the soft drink you're yeah. drinking doesn't have any calories. Yeah. So that's one hypothesis. Mm-hmm. But why people still gain weight? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Yeah, what they've found though is from a couple of uh, mouse or rat no. studies, a rodent studies, I can't remember mouse or rat. Um, what they've found though is that still the fact that you're consuming less energy or less calories from the soft drink itself should more than compensate yep. for that increased drive to get calories from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The more the stronger evidence is behind the effect it has on your gut bacteria. Oh. Because oh. your gut bacteria play a huge role uh, in your overall metabolism. Okay. Yeah, so if it impacts your gut bacteria negatively, uh, which uh, it almost uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, does. Yes, yeah. Okay. That's going to impact how well you metabolize certain your, the rest of your food. Mm-hmm. Now, the question then becomes how much of an effect does it have on your gut bacteria and that we don't know yet because the studies that I looked at, I think they were giving they were consuming uh soft drinks at very high levels. Uh, so, uh, um yeah, it really depends then on quantity. So from a quantitative factor, I don't really know yet. But it does impact your gut bacteria, for right. sure. That has been clearly shown. Yeah. No, I've heard of another hypothesis how, like, like people, or like, generally, if you have fizzy drinks, whether that's sugar-free or sugar-full, mm-hmm. right, um, the food that you eat with, right, is generally mm-hmm. high, high, highly high in ca- calories as well. Right. And so right. so it's, the, it's the, uh, the accompanying food that you eat that... That would, uh, let's say, make up or get rid of that compensation that you get with uh, the compensation of having consuming less calories through the drinks. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that would play an important yeah. part. Yeah. Which is why I thought the gut bacteria yeah, thing gut was. Bacteria, yeah. Yeah. No. It's. Yeah. The gut bacteria. There's, there's a lot of stuff. Actually, surprisingly, more recent stuff about like research into gut bacteria. Now, people are like in the general scientific community and the engineering compu- community. Uh, gaining much more interest in the gut bacteria and their their role. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Just in and, uh, gut bacteria is also implicated in like Parkinson's even some uh, in some of the really stuff, I yeah. didn't know that. Um, uh, was it gut bacteria or some 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 um? Let, let me have a quick check. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, all I do know is it's the gut Google ma- reviews, but not peer reviews. <laughs> yeah. So 2021, a study finds oh, for medical news today, a study finds that Parkinson's disease is associated with changes in the composition of gut microbiome. Okay, well, I knew I know it plays an uh, important role in immunity, yeah. the gut microbiome, yeah. and overall metabolism. Very, very important. Uh, but hmm, Parkinson's. Well, well, if you think about the the the, the, the general peritoneum and, and and the gut area uh, and, and how it's connected to the central nervous system, it's connected by the vagus nerve, right? Mm, yeah. So perhaps the vagus nerve acts some as some kind of conduit as well. Perhaps maybe. Um, whether that's directly through bacteria or anything that the bacteria generate. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's interesting though. Gut bacteria, it, there's a lot of research 
uh, interesting research coming out regarding that, and, pe- and more more people are uh, becoming aware and appreciate the importance of maintaining that. Yeah. Um. I, so I haven't done research specifically into gut bacteria, but I do know a lot of my colleagues who had done research on that, and there are lots of metabolic uh, abnormalities uh, or uh, diseases which could be linked. Yeah. I guess. I guess the main message I want to say at this point is everything in moderation. Everyth- yeah, everything in moderation. <laughs> everything in moderation. Because moderation. from what I understand, even with all these issues, I would say Diet Coke, if you have to drink Diet if you want to drink your fizzy drinks, You're it's right. still better than having sugar. Yeah. The amount of sugar you yeah. have in a normal Coke. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a caveat to point out that, look, this isn't necessarily 100% safe. It's not uh, like you can just... Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Down ten a day or something like that because ah oh, no calories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and there's obviously still sort of a lot of unknown risks behind sort of uh, artificial sweeteners. Yeah, and we keep finding out about these yeah, research yeah. is constantly being updated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything in moderation and and, and yeah, just just as a uh, an occasional vice that mm. you yeah. uh, enjoy. Uh, not not like me where I drink like Coke. Go for like or a fizzy drink for every every lunch meal. <laughs> really? Well, I, I used to, <laughs> used to. Uh, but, but well, next time we have lunch, I'm gonna make sure you do it. <laughs> we haven't even talked about how the tongue functions and and and, and, and the whole complexity around taste, mm. how that works. Uh, yeah, I think That's we did touch on it briefly on how um the brain detects uh, sweetness and and expecting the compensation of calories, but yeah. um, like how does the tongue actually taste? Uh, tell difference like how can i tell the difference between coke zero and coke <laughs> that's yeah your uh, and, and the chemistry or and the chemical reactions that uh, happen on the tongue presumably yeah that's and how we perceive taste that and, by itself and would be yeah. a pretty long conversation <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah and then I, I guess that complexity also ties into how we don't have any devices where we can taste food on tv or smell food from tv right it's impossible to digitize yeah, it is. It is. I think sensation, when it comes to being able to replicate sensation, is far more difficult than... Well, 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 we, we, we've been able to digitize vision, right, light, right? And we've but not properly. Well, we can... Uh, cor- okay, again, correct me if I'm wrong. What we have right now with, uh, say, bionic eyes uh, or anything that would help with vision is just... It's kind of a... Very rough oh, no, outline. Uh, yeah, no, so uh, I'm not talking about the, the obviously the bionic eyes. It's much more complex, right? Yeah. And like to be able to stimulate the the, the optic nerves to create um, a proper vision Mm-mm. is much much complex. I'm talking more about um, uh, generating digital signals for us to like see on computer screens. Oh, right. right yeah, uh, yeah. So we can see white, we can see black, we can see text that's generated using digitization. Yeah. You could hear our voices here using digitization of audio. Right. But we can't smell or taste things across different places, right? Because there's no, we can't digitize this. Never thought of that, but yeah, it's right. a really interesting point. Right. So we can transmit, like as in, I can take a video of you, right? And transmit that video file to someone for them to see your face. Right, right? but we can't get somebody else to taste what we're tasting. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why we don't have any devices where we could, as, as I mentioned, we don't have any devices that we can um, taste food on MasterChef or, 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 or My <laughs> yeah, Kitchen that, Rules. That, that would be awesome, exists. wouldn't it? Right, and we even, even smell for that matter, right? Right. So video, like video and audio, we've, we've been able to digitize and be able to transfer digitally. 
right? But smell and taste. Do you think it will ever be possible? Well, I just mentioned a little while ago that uh, the, hum- the capacity for oh humans yeah. to develop things. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. in this case, I might make an exception <laughs> because I'd find it just understand the chemistry uh, that goes behind us being able to uh, no, have the sensation of taste and smell. And they're connected too. Yeah, it, it is, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I find that when I'm tasting something, when uh, this is something particularly good, I close my eyes and just let all, it's almost as if I'm just focusing all my sensation on what's, you know, what I'm tasting. And I also find that when I take deep breaths, I can almost smell the taste. It's mm-hmm. weird, mm-hmm. but I can do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I mean, if you understand the chemistry that goes behind that, it's not weird because uh, of the way those two connect. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we, can e- we can even digitize touch to a certain extent as well. Like can if we? You, well, you could have sensors on in a glove, or some, or like any any. Um, you could sense yeah, the. You, you okay. could digitize pressure. Okay. You could digitize yeah, yeah, pressure. You, you could digitize uh, uh, topography. Right. But you can't somehow send that digitization to someone else to understand, for them to understand what you just touched. Can you? Or maybe you no, can. No, you, could, you, could, you could develop a series of sensors and actuators. Uh, sensors, obviously, uh, at, the, at the point where you're touching it, and se- actuator would probably act on the, the, the recipient's glove, let's say. Okay, right. Okay, so it'll be a rough... Uh, it'll be rough. It w- yeah. It's not perfect. Yeah. It's, it's okay. not a, like it's, it won't be as good as the video and the audio transmission that we'll have, yeah. right, well, that we currently have. Uh, but it's definitely still possible. Like, is in you wear a glove... You touch something like, and it's like you're uh, kilometers away from me, right? That gets wirelessly, that info gets wirelessly transmitted to my glove, and I can feel what you're feeling. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's technically yeah. possible. Yeah. Right. Uh, like is in th- again the degree of success would be dependent on the type of technology and and, and the work that's been done on that. But it's possible, but it's possible. and to improve on it is also feasible. But yeah. right now, when it comes to it's taste and, taste, and yeah. smell, we don't even probably know where to start. We don't even know where to start. Yeah. Like literally, yeah, because. Um, the cells that are involved in the sensation or the, the sensory aspect of it, right? do we even know the mechanism uh, of taste and, and smell? Like, is there's probably some sort of iron channels and whatnot going on. Yeah, there's a rough right? mechanism in place. Like, uh, is it you could actually you could probably digitize the the four the five basic, actually no, not five, four basic tastes mm-hmm. to a certain extent, like the saltiness, sugariness, sourness, yeah. and uh, bitterness. Bitterness, yeah. Because saltiness is about the ion concentration, mm-hmm. right? Sodium chloride. Sugar is uh, the, the sugariness is sweetness is about the glucose concentration or, or molecule similar to glucose. Sourness, which is based with acidity, and bitterness, probably to do with chemical compounds there too, mm. right? And so, if you can detect those levels, digitize that, send it to another device remotely, and release those chemicals only, like release a bit of salt, release a bit of uh, glucose, release a bit of uh, vinegar or some, some sort of acid. You could control those, the three, and, and bitterness is probably any other compound that's safe. Right. You do those okay. four at a very basic level. Right. But, but okay, so there's, there's unlimited molecules in the world, essentially, right? Each mm. with a different smell and taste profile, mm. right? But so we, we have a finite number of sensors in our olfactory or the nose, p- nose sensors and, and the tongue sensors, yeah. right? So there's unlimited profiles, right? and, and the tongue and the nose is somehow, I guess, quantizing that or digitizing that 
in the biological sense and sending those signals to the brain. Yeah. Right? I guess it's a relative amount of stimulation. Uh, the relative amount of stimulation for yeah. those different types of cells involved yeah. in the yeah. taste buds. Yeah. So and there's uh, also a finite number of receptors and whatnot yeah. in those cells, right? So perhaps that's that might be the starting point in trying to capitulate or ca- capture. Right? Yeah. You start a project together. <laughs> if, if you get a lot maybe, of money, maybe maybe we is there a need though? That's that's, that's also a thing, and, and the need uh, it's something that I talk with my students uh, for any engineering project. Well, I do need have a need when I'm watch, watching MasterChef <laughs> and I'm on my diet, and I just start salivating. I wouldn't mind tasting some of that. Who's going to invest that money, right? And and on that note, uh, we will uh, finish our podcast. Yeah, here. it was good. It was fun. Yeah, and and. If 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 you can share this with your friends, that would be fantastic. It, depending on the responses that we get, sort of verbally and anecdotally about how the po- how this podcast was, we might do it uh, monthly or fortnightly. Or if the response isn't that great, then this might be the last one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping I'm hoping it would be somewhat. Uh, yeah, I think it was know, yeah, somewhat. We'll see. Well. we'll see. It was longer than we expected, but that's yeah. because we had so much to talk about. So so yeah. if if <laughs> so if we if we get to have a second podcast, then we might we'll probably talk about nano robots. Okay. Uh, so if you want to listen to that, then um, make sure you can you subscribe to Spotify <laughs> on this. No, probably not. Uh, make make sure you you spread the word about this podcast to your friends. Uh, they don't have to be in biomedical engineering, uh, y- y- as you probably would have noticed with the topics that we we're talking about. Yeah, we uh, just discuss all sorts of things. Yeah, and yeah. hopefully the audio is good. Yeah. <laughs> well, now it's time to check what happened to the Warriors Nuggets game. Oh, all right. We'll we'll have we'll have we'll have the um uh. We'll record this. We'll record my reaction. To I it. do know the Timberwolves were leading. By the way, the I'm Grizzlies. a Warriors fan. Uh, yeah, so am I. Oh, they, they haven't started yet. Okay. The Timberwolves beat the Grizzlies, though? They were had, they had a massive lead just before. Yeah, they yeah, they in. did. Um, oh, wow. What? Grizzlies won. Real? So basically, <laughs> so basically, uh, so the, the Grizzlies and Timberwolves, for those that aren't NBA fans, um, uh, the, 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 the NBA is running some playoff games right now. Uh, before we came, I had a quick check as well. Timberwolves were leading by 20 points almost, 20, 30 points. Uh, wow. And they lost. And they lost. And so, wow. yeah. That's, that's what's so... Uh, By the way, if you're not interested in NBA, you could turn off the... the yeah, yeah. Now. That's what's so <laughs> exasperating about <laughs> the NBA. Like, you could have a 20, 30-point lead, and you could just completely blow that in the last quarter or something like that by having a bad quarter. I mean, that's what happens to the Warriors in some yeah. games. And it yeah. just, you know, my whole day is ruined. <laughs> like, ah! Yeah, um... So you're Warriors fan too. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Curry. Yes. Stephen Curry. Um, yeah. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and now Jordan Poole. Watched the game there Poole. live. Um, San Francisco. Uh, when we went there a couple of years ago, had had the had Durant, Draymond, Steph, I Clay, and, and, and oh Demarcus, and also Iguodala there too. So believe we you watched that. They, they didn't win the they didn't win the uh the title that year though. Did they? Oh, that was the one they lost to Toronto. Because yeah. Durant, yeah, got Durant, injured. Got, Durant got Durant injured. Got injured. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Then Clay got injured. Yeah, and then Clay got injured. Yeah, and, and yeah but th- they're doing fine now, it seems. Yeah, uh, let's see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, 2 0 two nil in terms of the game. Yeah. Uh, Warriors versus Nuggets. Mavericks is wi- uh, Ma- the Mavs are beating the Jazz right now. Um, That's without Luka Doncic, by without the way. Doncic. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've heard some analysis saying that without Doncic, they won't be able to win the series, but it looks like they might. No, they might, yeah. Uh, and, and Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell and Rudy Gobert will probably break up after this. Yeah, I mean, if they if they lose to a Lucas Mavs, then oh yeah, sure, uh, definitely, yeah, and then there'll there'll be quite an inquisition into that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, 
All right. <laughs> that that's our brief with uh, that. NBA, uh, thanks. Sort of commentary. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, and and thanks for listening and uh, make sure you give us feedback if you see us uh, and if you've listened to this podcast. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Yang. Thanks. Thanks, everybody.